the amount of space between two points, the interval that separates us from where we are and where we want to be. Distance. There are countless ways to measure this separation. If you stacked one million atoms on top of one another, the distance would equal the width of a human hair. The average distance between the top of the human head to the bottom of one's feet. The width of the Grand Canyon. The distance across the United States. The Earth is 93 million miles from the Sun. We are 2.5 million light years away from the closest galaxy. Distance. We have constantly sought new ways to overcome separation. We practically and efficiently improve upon every effort. We attempt to reduce every distance into one that's more manageable and convenient. But there is one separation we cannot overcome, and it's not between continents or the expanse between stars and planets. It is the separation we have all been born into, the separation from our creator, our maker, our God. We cannot overcome on our own, not by knowledge, not by our good deeds, and not by our vast resources. But while we were powerless in our sin, Christ came. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came to us in the form of a baby. He walked the earth as a man. He died a scandalous and inconvenient death on a brutal and bloody cross to once and for all destroy the separation between our heavenly father and his children. And he forever conquered the power of death when three days later he rose from the grave and left his tomb behind. What was once unobtainable is now freely given to those who will receive. The chasm that once separated us from the king has been overcome and victory is ours if we will receive it. Amen. It's great to see you here this morning. Are you glad to be here? Glad you're here. Glad you uh, got up. It's been a wonderful morning. The sunrise service was amazing. And first service, there was lots of people here. And uh, here we go again. Some years ago, there was a Mensa convention in San Francisco. Uh, Now, Mensa is an organization for people who have an IQ of 140 or greater. And they were all sitting down to a meal, and they noticed at the table that, one, that the salt and pepper shakers were, were wrong. The salt was in the pepper shaker, and the pepper was in the salt shaker. And eventually, the picture is going to appear. It was there? Oh, okay. So, you know, you, you, you get the gist, right? So they immediately began trying to figure this out. How can we swap the contents of the two bottles without spilling any and using only the implements at hand? So they, they, they it, it, I mean, clearly a job for Mensa Minds, right? For, for high IQ people. The group debated the problem. They presented ideas. And finally, they came up with a brilliant solution involving a napkin, a straw, and an empty saucer. They called the waitress over ready to dazzle her with their solution. Ma'am, they said, we couldn't help but notice that the pepper shaker contains salt and the salt shaker contains pepper. But before they could finish, the waitress said, oh, oh, I'm so sorry about that. And she leaned over and she took the caps off of each one and swapped them. (laughs) There was dead silence at the Mensa table. 
You know, sometimes the easiest and simplest solutions aren't the ones that we think of or the ones that we even want to use because we want to prove something. We, we want to prove our point or the results. We tend to complicate things, overcomplicate things often. A, a recent bride called her mother one evening in tears. Oh, mom, I tried to make grandma's meatloaf and it was a total and utter failure. It was awful. I followed the recipe exactly and I know that I have the recipe right because it's the one that you gave me but it just, it didn't come out right and, and I'm just so upset because I wanted it to be so special for George. Meatloaf is his favorite meal. What could have gone wrong? And her mother replied soothingly, well dear, let's, let's go through the recipe. You read it out loud and tell me exactly what you did at each step and together we'll figure it out. Oh, okay, the bride sniffled. Well, it starts out, take 50 cents worth of ground beef. <laughs> Things change, right? Could you imagine how big a meatloaf made with 50 cents of ground beef today would be? be like that much. You know, this time of year, I often think about my history as a person. And in, in this sermon series that we've been doing in, in Hebrews, I've, I've, I've been thinking about my history, where I came from, what, what important events happened in my life, who were the important people in, throughout those years. And my mind has often gone to my mom and my dad, of course, but they all, it all, always goes to my, uh, also goes to my grandmother and my grandfather. And my grandpa was born in 1898. He lived till, till 1984. My grandmother was born in 1900, and she lived until 1994. And, and I often just, I, I mention this often in, in conversations, can you imagine the change in our society and in our culture and in life that, that, that my grandparents went through, uh, being born in 1900 and living till almost the end of the century? One, almost a hundred years. You know, when they, they lived in a time when the only mode of transportation available was a horse and buggy. And I have a picture. This is my, my grandpa is in this picture. Actually, my grandpa is the little baby in the very back of the carriage. Um, and that's his parents and, and his siblings. I mean, they went from horse and buggy and no indoor plumbing or running water or electricity to a time when they didn't even have to light the oven. They just turned a knob. Um, you could, you could go anywhere. You could drive, you could fly, almost anywhere on the planet, in the world. And, and something that truly changed my grandmother's life since she had four children and a farmer as a husband, it was an invention called a washing machine. You know, originally she had a tub, and that tub was still on the front porch when I was a young child. And she would, she would wash the clothes in that tub. She had a dryer because grandpa had bought her one, but she refused to use it because it used electricity and electricity costed money. She didn't want to do that. And, and then this thing, the, she got this one with the, with the attachment, the special attachment with the rollers that you literally put the clothes through and it squeezed the water out so then we would go out with the basket and I loved hanging clothes. I, I really loved getting them down off the line because they smelled so good. But the fact that, that electricity really changed my grandmother's life, it, it, it's changed all of our lives. Um, in fact, electricity was huge because they didn't have to use lanterns anymore. No worries about burning the barn down, which my grandmother actually did when she was a young 
child. And, and then all of the appliances that, that were invented because of electricity. Huge changes in the century that they lived. What, what about you sitting here? Have you ever thought about the changes that have happened in, in the world since you were born? Um, you know, for me, uh, one of those changes was the computer. I mean, yes, I was alive when the computer was, well, I think invented, or at least when we had access to the computer. You know, at school, we had Apple IIe's and, you know, the green screen and, and that wonderful, amazing game, Castle Wolfenstein. And, and then there was that other one, you know, where you, you went across the, the West, you know, answer, yeah, why? Y'all, I always died. Usually dysentery, you know, because I, I didn't answer enough questions correctly. Um, you know, we, we programmed, we did basic programming. There's, there's more programming in my coffee maker now than what we were doing back then. Um, you know, what things have changed your life? Uh, cell phones, smartphones, uh, flip phones. You know, I had one of those. Um, does any, really, anybody in here still have one of those? I see a few hands. I, I, yeah, we got one right up here. I, I know. Um, you know, my, my grandmother, we, we not only talked, we, knocked, we not only had to, right, dial the numbers, um, but I could always listen in to all of my grandmother's conversations because we were on a party line, um, and you wanted to make sure that she wasn't listening in on yours, too. Um, you, you always listened for those clicks. Um, you know, I, a lot of the things that I used to dream about when I was younger, I thought were science fiction. You know, like doors that open automatically. Uh, being a, the Jetsons, one, there was one on the Jetsons, right? You, you could actually see the person when you're talking to them. Total science fiction. You, 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 you could never be able to do that, right? Um, you know, these changes are all good. Well, most of them anyway. And they always seem to promise to deliver an easier life, don't they? Uh, more efficient work, easier work, more disposable time to spend with people, spend less time washing clothes and more time with your family. You know, you don't need to vacuum anymore. You get a little robot that does that. You don't have to turn the lights on. You just tell Alexa to do it. Well, at least that's what I do. Um, ad admittedly, all of these things have changed our lives, but there's still an emptiness. They never quite deliver what they promise they will deliver. We're, we're never satisfied. We, we continue on an endless search for something better because our lives really don't change much, even with all of the technology and all of that. Well, this morning we celebrate an historical event that did make a change. In fact, it changed the entire universe. A change that makes peace and hope possible. What we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, changed everything. I've experienced it myself personally, and I know many other people who already have. I've even observed people who sat in this very room last year, wrote down things. We challenged everybody to ask God for something, and they, they wrote things on a piece of paper, and we had people lined up to pray for them for 30 days. And I know people who were at first service and people who are in this service who we prayed for those things, and God answered. God showed up. God made a change in your life. Now, it's not... Sometimes we think those things are selfish, and sometimes we do ask for selfish things, but, but God gives us what he wants 
us to have, and we just, we just need to trust him for that. That's a change that he makes in our life, and, and we need to submit ourselves to Jesus. So, the hope and peace that we get in our relationship with Jesus Christ, where does that come from? Well, Jesus simply changed everything, and we're going to look at that today. But first, I, I want to take an honest look at what our lives look like without Jesus. Okay, that's point one in, in your notes. What do our lives look like without Jesus? Well, it all started over, over thousands of years ago with a man named Adam and a woman named, named Eve. It's recorded in the first three chapters of the Bible. They're distant relatives, relatives to us, actually. Um, they had the perfect life. They lived and they worked in an incredible garden. They didn't have to worry about the climate. They didn't have to work very hard for their food. They had direct fellowship with God, their creator. And the Bible says that they were both naked and that they felt no shame. They didn't need inventions like washing machines because they didn't even have clothes. Chapter 2, verse 25 says, The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You see, there was no guilt, no shame, no jealousy, no pain. Life was good. In fact, life was perfect. And then they did something that they were told not to do, and that was to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They disobeyed God, and they ate from that tree. Why? Why did they eat from it? I think it boils down to pride and, and deceit. They were deceived by the serpent, that God was holding out on them. We, you, God's really not giving you the full truth. He's, he's really not here to help you. He's here to use you. And so uh, they ate because he said, you, if you eat from this tree, you can become like God. So they did, and that was the beginning of the end for our world. The consequences of their actions have been present ever since. The Bible says that the earth groans and it continues to groan because of sin. And we've tried to improve our lives. We've tried to make life better. But when we do that on our own, we end up complicating things. We end up messing things up. I mean, how's that been working for us? How does it work for you when you try to do things on your own? It's evidence to me that we simply can't change our reality. So what is our reality? What is the truth? This morning, we're going to look at four realities. The first one, as I already mentioned, is where I am without Jesus. That, that is represented by this side of the room. And as we are on this side, imagine a big chasm in between us. Here are words that come to mind when I think of where we are without Jesus. Sin, that's disobedience to God. It's missing the mark. It's... it's uh, it's a reality for all of us. We mess up. We make mistakes. We make really poor choices, and those choices hurt us. Those choices hurt other people, and they go against God. Sin is the source of really all of the rest of these words. The next word is lost. Maybe that word jumped out at you. Do you ever feel like you don't know where you're going and you don't know what you're doing? You just feel lost. I've sure been there. Jesus describes us as sheep without a shepherd just wandering around trying to figure things out on our own, hopeless. Does life ever feel hopeless to you, like you, can't just, you just can't do this for another day? It's like you're playing a pickup game of basketball against the top five uh, centers of the NBA, and it's just you, one on five. No way. Hopeless. 
You just feel like you don't have a chance of making it through this time of your life and you just want to give up. Guilt. Guilty. Maybe you have some pretty bad, you've, you've made some pretty bad decisions so far in life. Things now as, as you reflect that really make you feel bad. Maybe, maybe it was some words said to a son or a daughter or a father or a mother. They cut really deep and were very hurtful. Maybe you've been unfaithful to your husband or your wife. Maybe it was with another man or woman. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was with a computer screen. Maybe it was with your phone screen. Maybe you've been fantasizing about someone at work or school. Whatever it looks like, you feel guilty. You feel guilty because you are guilty. And you're continually choosing to follow your selfish desires. That may be your reality as you sit here today. Hate is another word. Maybe your life is full of hate. You get up in the morning and, and you're just angry. You go to bed at night and you're just angry. And you, you go to work and you don't get along with anybody because you, know, you can't stand your neighbors and your coworkers because they're just mean and nasty to you anyway. Maybe you were raised with a particular hatred or, or bigotry toward other, per, other people. Whatever it is, it just seems to run your life. Suffering. Now, that's a reality we can all certainly relate to, isn't it? Disease, cancer, pain, death, either yourself or a close family member. Then there's emotional suffering, there's financial suffering, and of course, spiritual suffering. It, it's a reality. And then this chasm is represented by the word hell. We sure don't like to think about that word, but, but we need to realize that it is a real place. It's a real thing. It's a reality. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The consequences of our sin, our disobedience to God, is spiritual and physical death. Without Jesus Christ, our destination is the chasm. It's hell. And hell is no party, no matter what TV and the movies try to make it out to be. It's real, and it's not good. That's this chasm. That's a reality. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Every last one of us. It doesn't matter. The color of your skin doesn't matter. The country you were born in doesn't matter. Where you went to school doesn't matter. All have sinned. We all start on this side. Now think about this with me. Do you ever lie in bed at night wondering... If your life could be different. Wondering if you could have peace. Wondering if it's possible to not worry about the eternal consequences of sin and our poor choices. Wondering if there isn't something better than what you are currently experiencing. Well, this is what we hope for, isn't it? These next words up here represent what we want to have in our lives. And, and I want you to know that, that, that that's this side of the chasm. Represented by the cross, an empty cross, because our Savior is alive. And it's a reality. With Jesus Christ as our Lord, it's as real and truthful and possible as the people sitting next to you. The second reality this morning is where we want to be. Any of those words ring true? Blessed. Wow. I mean, I, who doesn't want to be blessed? Who doesn't want to experience that reality? Who doesn't want good things in their life? Who doesn't want to have children that love you? And a roof over your head. Who doesn't want to have opportunities in life? 
I want to be blessed. Blameless. This word is the opposite of guilty. I don't want to be guilty. I want to be blameless. I want to be forgiven. Bad things I've said or done, I want them to be gone. I don't want to have their weight hanging on me. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be blameless? Loved. As humans, we were created for relationship. Man, I want to be loved. I want to be loved by God. I want to be loved by my kids. I want to be loved by my wife. I want to love, be, be loved by my friends and my, my family, my parents. Love is pretty big, isn't it? In fact, in the next four weeks, we're going to be doing a series focusing on love. Love in our relationships. Love in our marriages. Peace. Peace is another one. I want to know that no matter what happens in my life, it's going to be okay. I mean, I've, I've experienced, as, as you all have too, I'm sure, some pretty dark times in my life. Some times where there was, a, there was a lot of hurt and there was a lot of questioning, wondering, can I really get through this? Can we really get through this? Are we going to be able to get past this? And, and you know what? The answer that it, to that has always been yes. You know, because we can have and do have access to the, what, what the Bible calls a peace that passes all understanding. The ability to minimize anxiety and maximize faith. We all want that, right? I would, I would love to hear somebody try to convince me that they don't want that in their life. Security, I want that. I want to know that not only my present circumstances in life, but all of my circumstances in life are in good hands. And I'm not talking about Allstate. I'm talking about much, much bigger hands. I want to know that all I have now is secure, but I also want to know for sure that when I take my last breath, that's secure. That hope that I have in Christ, that that is secure. And, and then finally, eternal life. Do you, do you want to have eternal life? Do you want to have life forever? I mean, good life. Good life, life to the full. Do you want to spend eternity with Jesus? A relationship with your creator that, that we can't even begin to try and describe and understand on this side, although it's pretty amazing what I know. It lasts forever. That's why it's called eternal life and, and one of life. It's good life. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, sometimes that's here, but it is always on the other side when we take our last breath. It will be full life. It will be amazing. It starts here, and it will continue for eternity. But we have this problem, don't we? It's this chasm between where we are without Christ and the reality of life with Christ, eternal life. This is where we start, and this is where some of us are still, that's where we want to be. So how do we get there? How do we bridge the gap? How do we bridge the chasm? Well, you know, we try to get there on our own. Um, the enemy has convinced lots of people in our world that it's even possible, that you can do it. You can get there on your own. And, and we try, and we try, and we try to achieve eternal life on our own. One way people try is through religion. Religion. 
They hold to a strict set of rules or follow a human teacher. They repeat stuff over and over and over again. Buddhism, Eastern mysticism, Hinduism, and all the other ism religions teach that we have to rescue ourselves. We have to somehow uh, outweigh the bad with the good in our life. But the reality is, all those leaders, all those who started those religions, they're dead. They're still in their grave. Ours is alive. He did have the power to overcome sin and darkness. You know what Jesus said about religion? He said it to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He said, you have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to the traditions of men. Can't do it. So we try to form a bridge across the chasm using a religion bridge plank. In Hebrews chapter 10, if you would turn there, if you brought your Bibles this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, we see the people looking back to the Old Testament to attempt to build a bridge plank. We are reminded that the time for the law is gone over and over in the book of Hebrews. Now, we also, before we go to chapter 10, we also think in our human, wise human minds that if we simply do enough good things, that we will be able to reach the other side. So we, we grab the bridge plank of good works. We try to, try to build our way across with that. We try and we try and we try. We help ladies across the street. We, we, uh, we, we grab uh, shopping carts in the parking lot and we put them where they're supposed to be. You know, all those knuckleheads that just leave them around out there. We, uh, we join clubs that do good things. We give money to charities. We volunteer in the community in our kids' school. We visit the sick, all in an attempt to please God. We think somehow that if we're able to tip the scales, that he'll just say, ah, you know what? Never mind. Forget all that other stuff. Come on in. Come on into heaven and have eternal life. The Bible says that we are not saved by works. Clearly, it says this. Simply, it says this. Jesus said, following the law doesn't save us. We build a little with religion. We add some good works. And we also try getting across the chasm by not doing bad things. We think that if we're just disciplined enough, if we keep ourselves from all the evil in the world, that that will bridge the gap. Men and women have tried this for hundreds and thousands of years. They, they, they join monasteries and they try to keep themselves from all the bad influences so they can just be good enough. Now, like doing good things, keeping away from bad things is certainly good to do. I'm not saying don't do those things. But the reason we, don't, we do those things or don't do those things is different. It's not earning our way unto salvation. It's because of our salvation that I want to do good things, that I want to please God. Um, it's not going to save us. If we think that, we will continue to be lost and guilty and hopeless, and our ulti ultimate destination will be hell. Sometimes people say, well, I can't believe God would send good people to hell. Well, you know what? That's because you're mistaking your identity for being good because we're not. The Bible says not one of us is good. None of us. 
We all deserve hell. Tim, Titus 3, 5 says, He, Jesus, saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So let's be sure that we are not deceived. They just don't work. It's impossible for us as humans to save ourselves. We can't build the bridge. And if the story ended right there, it would be like one of those movies that you think is going to end great, and it doesn't. The hero dies, the, the, the pretty woman dies, and you leave bummed. But, but we don't have to. See, this is what we're celebrating today. This is the great news. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fourth reality in life for us today is that Jesus' resurrection changed everything. He built the bridge. He puts it in its place. Through his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection, he spans life from over there to over there. He changed everything. From the moment he rose from the dead, our planet was changed forever. You know, we thought smartphones or electricity brought the biggest change to our world or automobiles. No, the biggest change that ever happened on this planet happened just over 2,000 years ago. Jesus' sacrifice brought forgiveness, renewal, and peace to any of us, to anyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the reality of sin and brokenness and disobedience, Jesus gave his life for us. He made the bridge. He spanned the distance. He provided a way. How was this accomplished? First of all, Jesus had to come. First of all, Jesus came. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Jesus came. He gave up heaven. Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. He confined himself to a human body. And he lived a perfect life. He was completely uh, sinless, though he was tempted in every way that we are. Could you imagine being his brother? I say this a lot. You could never pin anything on Jesus. Jesus stole the cookie. Jesus ate the candy bar. No, he didn't. No, he couldn't have. And when the time was right, in God's sovereignty, Jesus fulfilled his purpose in coming into our world. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples. He was tried illegally. He was falsely accused and he was convicted by his very own words. Jesus was beaten. He was mocked. He was whipped so that the flesh was torn from his back. A crown of thorns was crushed on his head. He was forced to carry his own instrument of death through the crowded streets of Jerusalem. He was stripped of his clothes and then his hands and his feet were nailed to the cross and he took on himself in that moment the sin of the world, your sin and mine. 1 Peter 2, 24 tells us that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Isaiah the prophet wrote, and remember this was written hundreds of years before, before crucifixion even existed. 
In Isaiah 52, 14, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond any human likeness. Jesus was so disfigured and so marred that someone watching could not even tell it was a human being hanging on that cross. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Actually, it's probably thousands of years before crucifixion was even invented when the nation of Israel was wandering out in the desert and people were being bitten by snakes and they were dying. God said, the people can be saved. Take a, take a serpent, put it on your staff, put it up where people can look at it. And if they look on that thing raised, they will be saved. Giving them a picture of what Jesus was going to do one day before crucifixion was even invented, God knew how he was going to die. He showed us for hundreds of years. 1 Peter 2.24 says, So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, by his wounds you have been healed. The effects of Jesus' suffering and uh, resurrection on us are incredible. It's the good words. It's the, the reality that we hope for. See, Jesus died. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4 tells us this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, speaking of the law, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But we are told that it is only with the shedding of blood that sins can be dealt with. In Here we're told that it is impossible. God said, I want you to observe this law. The law was... Uh, was a way that God used in people's life, in our life, to show us that we're not good enough, that we can't do it. We, we can't do it. We can't build the bridge. It is impossible. It is impossible. Those sacrifices reminded of sin. Hebrews 10 continues, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. He's talking about the Father's will. But a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And if we think about, uh, we remember back to the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was there and uh, he's just about to be betrayed and he's, he's pouring his heart out to the Father and and he's feeling the weight of what he's just about to go through. And, and he's sweating drops of blood. And he cries out to God and, said, and says, Father, if there is any way for this cup to be removed, if there's any way that we could do this without me having to go through this, could it be? But he follows that immediately with, but your will, not mine. And God's will was that he would be sacrificed. Then he said, here I am. Verse 8, I skipped that. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first 
the first covenant, the first law, to establish the second, the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The the last necessary sacrifice of blood, Jesus' blood. Jesus' suffering brings healing and forgiveness from sin. His death means that we can die to sin. His resurrection means we have the power to live for righteousness because we are given that same power. He changed everything. He changed everything. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. What that means is that even even though we physically die, and so far, I've, I'm pretty sure the statistics are right at 100%. If you're born, aside from Jesus returning, you're going to die. We will take our last breath. And those who believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah and Savior, when they take that last breath, will live eternally in heaven with Jesus. He has promised it, and he always does what he promises. It's our faith and trust in Jesus that provides that bridge, that, that, that paves the way for us to go from that reality to this reality. Won't you take that step? Have you ever taken that step yourself? That step of faith? Oh, I pray that you have. And, and I pray that if you haven't, and I know that if you haven't and you're here or you're listening online, you're watching online, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. He's saying, hey, John, hey, Mary, hey, Sarah, I'm real. And I love you. And if you would just surrender your life to me, I will forgive you. I will bless you. I will give you peace. I will give you joy. I will give you eternal life. You see, this is important. Just knowing this stuff in your head isn't enough. If that's all the farther you get, you're still standing on this side. You have not stepped on the bridge that is already there. He has already done the work. He has already paid the price. And it's out of stubbornness and unwillingness and pride that that we just say, yeah, okay. But but I want to do this thing first myself. You see, it's not enough to know what Jesus did. It's not enough even to know that God exists. You see, Jesus said that even even the demons believe that God exists. They know. They know. But they haven't surrendered. They continue to run the opposite direction. Why not lay down your life at his feet and surrender all things to Jesus? He who believes, Jesus said, Take that step of faith. And and we can take that step of faith because Jesus is alive. You know, Jesus resurrected. 
came back to life. Um, The tomb was exploded open. History, both biblical and secular, testifies to the reality that Jesus was seen alive. His disciples, who were disoriented for several days after Jesus' death, they saw him alive. They ate with him. They talked to him. He showed them the literal holes in his hands and his feet. They knew it was him. He appeared to hundreds of other people and he then ascended to the Father and all people who receive his gift of redemption will have eternal life. No more striving for salvation's sake. No more trying to build our own bridges, which simply is a futile task. Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection has spanned the chasm and when we believe we are saved. Hebrews 10, 14 through 18 goes on. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. What a gift. What amazing grace. By putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he changes our hopelessness into hope. He changes our purposelessness into purpose. He changes our hate into love. He changes our guilt into security. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57 says this, death has been swallowed up in victory. If we're on this side, we're still in death. And all that comes along with that. Where, O death, is your victory? There is no victory in death. Where, O death, is your sting? But you see, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. This fourth reality is one that we can all have in our life. In Jesus Christ, we can have peace and joy and eternal security, love and forgiveness. Now, you might be here this morning because you've already followed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've already stepped onto that bridge, and you're you're living, you're walking, you're you're surrendering to him, you're trying to figure it out. It's it's just like when we, for those of us who got married, you know, it, it was, for the most part, pretty easy to say, I do. Right? I surrender myself to you. I'm pretty sure I didn't really know what all that meant. Although 30 years later, I know what that means even more than I did back then. That's what, that's what surrendering our life to Jesus Christ is like. It's like, you know what? I don't know everything about what you're going to ask of me or what you're going to do in my life. But right now, I know this is true and I believe and I'm stepping towards that journey. And he, he will then begin teaching us over and over and over 
Or you might be here this morning because you've been struggling in your life to the point that you've questioned your salvation. You know, I, I think I said a prayer back then, but I'm not exactly sure. I just, I just don't, I just feel lost in my life. And you wonder, was that, was that experience genuine? Did I truly believe or was I just saying words? Was that just from my mind and not from my actual heart? Or maybe you just came this morning because a family member or a coworker invited you and you're like, you know what, it's Easter. I should, I should go to church. I got invited and I hear there might be some good music and it might even be fun to go. But you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're, maybe you're hearing this for the first time. I, I doubt it, but that's still possible in the world that we live in today. And you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I pray that you would respond to Jesus' call on your life, right? Look, you're here for a reason. <laughs> I don't care how you got here. I don't care how it is you stumbled across our YouTube page, maybe. And you listened. God wanted you to hear what you're hearing today. He wants to change something in your life. I don't know what that is. You might. That could be belief for the first time. You know, I pray that that would be, be, the, be true of you if you've never trusted Christ. And you need to just, if, if that's where you're at this morning, you need to just let him know. And, and you know, prayer, prayer is how we communicate with God. You know, you just need to let him know that, that look, God, I've, I've attempted to, to do this all on my own. I, I, maybe even I was involved in a church for a long time and I was doing the things, I was doing the religious things, but they, they weren't the right things. They, they weren't real. It, I, I didn't really believe. But today I surrender. I surrender my ability to save myself or my attempts. I surrender my sin. Please forgive me. I believe, I believe, Jesus, that you were the Son of God and that you were indeed crucified and that you are indeed alive today. And then, and then make a, a commitment. Commit to seeking out on a daily basis what it means to be a disciple. I mean, some of us really were that naive when we got married and thought, well, the hard stuff's over. I can just cruise on down Love Lane you know, live a good life, have some great kids. That's going to be hard. Walking with Jesus is hard. But if you ask him to save you and to help you, he will do just that. Now the enemy will do what he can to push you back the other direction. You see, without Jesus, we're stuck on this side of the chasm. Sin, darkness, hopelessness, guilt, lost, headed for hell. I mean, honestly, really, who, would, who wants to stay there? How, how can people be convinced that this is where I should want to stay? That's how... 
That's how good the enemy is. But, but we don't have to because we want to be on that side. Forgiveness, peace, joy, eternal security. What do you say, what do you, say you stop making those attempts on your own and you trust Christ? And you surrender to him. Because Jesus has made a way. He is alive. He is alive. He has risen. He has built a bridge. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Messiah and you will be saved. Experience the biggest change in the universe. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Now as the worship team comes back up here to to sing our closing couple songs, I want you to take out that note sheet if you didn't already have it out. And I want you to look at those three things down at the bottom of it. And and I want to challenge you to consider these three responses to this morning. Um, You're not going to turn these in. You're just going to consider these and mark them for your own reference Maybe it's it, number one is a deci- you're, you, you made or you're thinking about making a decision to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time. Mark that box. Maybe you have additional questions. Write those questions down. Get together with somebody that may or, or may not. May, they may know somebody who does know the answer to those questions and can point you in the right direction. I mean, today would be a great day, wouldn't it, to... To drive a stake in the ground and say, this was the day that I believed. You know, I didn't think I was going to survive the year 2020 or the year 2021. And here, I, here we are in 23 and I'm still breathing and I get an opportunity to believe in Jesus. Easter of 2023. Maybe it's a decision to renew your, your commitment to Jesus. I mean, maybe you've been struggling and, and maybe you're not even, maybe you, you haven't even received all the answers to those struggles yet, but, but you know what? You're, you're headed in the right direction. Repent of your attempts and waywardness. Renew your commitment and ask for forgiveness. Mark number two. And then, of course, number three. Maybe you need to rely on Jesus' resurrection power. Maybe you've been nervous or anxious about life or you've been starting to have some doubts in your life. Um, Commit whatever those things are to Jesus here this morning. Write it down. Say, Jesus, I trust you with this. I trust that you're going to answer. I hope that'll be tomorrow. But I know it could be next month or next year. Or, or you, it could even be no. But I trust you with that. Let's sing these last couple songs.